Hello and welcome to Humans Beyond Resources, an HR podcast by Reverb where we cover topics from culture to compliance. Reverb believes that every decision a leader makes reverberates throughout the organization, from hiring your first employee to training your entire workforce. We believe in building healthy, inclusive cultures that engage your team. I'm your host, Sarah Wilkins. Today's episode features a guest host, Emily Semp from Reverb. Welcome to Sarah and Shannon. We're so glad to have both of you here. Um, And we're going to be talking about flexibility and inclusivity in the workplace. These two women have amazing lived experience and advice and ideas to share with all of us. Sarah, Shannon, I'd love for each of you to just give a quick intro um, and maybe Sarah can kick us off and then hand it over to Shannon. Yeah, sure. So I'm Sarah Wida, and um, I'm here with my colleague Shannon, and we um, are part of Chapter 2 group, and we are kind of all things flexibility. So we spent most of our career, um, or a lot of our career at Google, working um, in big customer sales and operations and business development, and um, saw a lot, and um, have had an interesting journey over the last 10 years, and are really focused now on um, what the future of work looks like, how we can apply that um, to businesses of all sizes sizes and kind of recognize that the working world has changed and kind of envision what the modern working world could look like and then take all of our lived experiences and help all of you kind of apply that um, to the future of work and and what it can look like tomorrow. I'm Shannon Kryle. Sarah kind of covered on the the high points. We have a very similar career trajectory, but (laughs) we joined forces um, as colleagues at Google about six years ago. And we were took a huge pivot in our career away from sales and, and into some uh, social impact and eventually product development. But uh, the biggest thing is that we were up share and, and that's kind of where our passion for flexibility was born. Um, and we pioneered the concept and the value of job sharing within multiple organizations at Google. And, and that kind of spawned us to this next chapter, no pun intended, <laughs> of working with other folks to to inspire the same. Lovely. Well, thank you both. Um, I thought we'd start by kicking off and having um, each of you share what does a flexible workplace culture mean to you? I think we all have our own definitions around flexibility, and so it'd be great to hear how you think about it. Yeah, we kind of chat about this back and forth a lot, and it's so easy to say like what a flexible work culture is not, and it's sometimes harder to really pinpoint some of the things that it that it is or what it means and you know top level it's supporting employees where they are um and this absolutely means top to bottom but it also means peer to peer and it's it's perplexing we're so far behind you know the modern workplace um you know has has this sort of one size fits all what's good for the goose is good for the gander mentality And I think that's just a huge missed opportunity, embracing an inclusive and flexible in your workplace is, you know, really important right now. Um, At the time is is now. Thank you both. We talked a little bit as we were preparing for this conversation about what are some of the, the signals or things that HR leaders and professionals can pay attention to. That might give them, you know, there's an indication that they need to start considering flexibility. How would you like respond to like, when is the right time to start taking action? 
when I think about this question, and it's a, it's a great one, when I think about this question of, of flexibility, readiness, or when is the right time to move on this, um, you know, a couple of things come to mind. And the first is actually a quote from Reshmish Sujani. I'm sure many of you are familiar with her. She's a workplace activist and founder of Girls Who Code. And um, she said, uh, as it related to COVID actually, never waste a great crisis. We have a once in a generation, once in a lifetime opportunity to finally fix workplaces. So as I just said, now really is the time um, you know, Sarah touched on this already, but this post-COVID workforce has really put a stake in the ground that flexibility is, is a, you know, an imperative moving forward. Um, but beyond that, there are certainly indicators that um, you can look out for to help, you know, drive your decisions and, and how fast you move on flexibility. The first is in looking outside your walls externally, you know, it's really important to keep a pulse on what's happening in your particular space. You know, what are your competitors doing? Are they, are they you know, making advancements in, in the area of flexibility and inclusivity? That's gonna be an important push or signal for you. And then, you know, business performance can also tell a, a compelling story. And I mean, you know, Sarah touched on productivity, right? We're not talking about this idea of visible busy, busyness, but are there productivity metrics that you can track? And, and those can, you know, give you an indication of, of how healthy, you know, your workforce is and, and where their mindset is. You know, lastly, just know your, know your people. Um, you know, look at the data that you have on them, supplement with surveys as needed, that kind of thing. But really just try to understand what are the things that you think impact the working experience uh, of your employees? You know, that can be things like, you know, the number of caregivers, um, where people are, you know, location-wise in proximity to if you have an, an actual office or headquarters, um, whether they're pursuing outside, you know, education, those types of things. A trend that we keep running into, I think it's like coined like quiet quitting, but just this idea that, yeah, you're not kind of, sometimes there's doing your day job and then there's building your brand and doing all the other things at your company that kind of get you that promotion. And, and sometimes that lack of engagement or that unwillingness to seek that next opportunity because you're just unable to, because you're, you know, balancing whatever you're having to balance and you can't bring your best self to work or be as productive as you'd like to be, um, or whatever the culture is, doesn't allow you to do that. You're still there. Like you're physically there or wherever you sit and you're doing your work, but you might not be giving as much as you could be or would like to be, um, in an optimal circumstance. I think that's really true. Shannon and Sarah, I know that both of you have done a fair amount of research, um, and I'm curious what you maybe have found um, through that about what are some objections or why people might like be resistant or hesitant to think about flexibility and ways to bring flexibility to their organization. So like essentially, like, why isn't it more widespread? Like what's holding people back? Yeah. In a lot of cases, it's it's lack of knowledge, um, you know, creativity. I think watching so many companies almost snap back um, in the last year um, has been interesting. You know, there's a little bit of a lack of awareness of sort of the increase of options that are available. I think, you know, hybrid work gets talked about the most um, and it's just one of many, many flexible op options. But it sort of became this like 
easy to check box. Yes, we're flexible. We're offering something different coming out of COVID. But for the most part, a lot of companies, especially bigger companies, I think snapped, snapped back. Almost universally, I think it's time, people, money. So, you know, there's no centralized resource or precedent or support being given. So it becomes this very creative one-off endeavor for maybe one brave soul or brave leader to try it out, which gives a lot of perceived risk, right? And not a lot of recognition or reward. Um, so it's kind of like, why take it on? What we found definitely where we spent a large part of our career, but, you know, we spent also a large part of that career consulting with a lot of smaller companies and it's almost never a structural program. And so it's, it's just a one-off it's manager directed that manager leaves. Um, it doesn't, no one's doing it anymore. And so that kind of one-off special circumstance arrangement doesn't lend itself to being widespread um, or adoptable by very many. Um, and that makes it really tough for kind of the few courageous souls that are trying to kind of move it forward. They just, they lack support. You know, I think it requires change and change is really, really hard. Um, and it requires trial and error and sometimes getting it wrong and, you know, an overall basic willingness. Um, and even that sometimes is tricky uh, for people. And, and so because of that, it what we see the most is that it doesn't get prioritized. Um, it kind of lacks that urgency to just get it done. And it kind of moves, gets, it's there, it's always on a list somewhere, but it doesn't quite make the top of the list. It, but as Shannon said earlier, like the time is now um, and whatever incremental steps you might be able to take, we just keep seeing in our research over and over that flexibility is now cited as like the number one most important priority kind of to our evolving workforce. You know, I think um, we see a lot of people taking steps, but um, it's 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 feels small in comparison to what what could be happening right now. Sarah Shan, I feel like we should just go to talking about like what are some of the creative like flexibility solutions that you've seen because I feel like people really probably do want to hear and learn more about like some of the practical things. Um, yeah. Because uh, yeah, we've talked about like job share a little bit. There's like hybrid versus in-person, but I know that you have so many more like ideas around that. So can you both talk to that piece a bit more? Yeah, sure. Happy to. I think, you know, first of all, embracing flexibility and starting to infuse it into your culture and build a foundational program. It, it is daunting, like no question, but it doesn't have, you don't have to, you know, establish, you know, a concrete roadmap here and now there's a things that you can do you, you know with creativity and imagination um and the first is really just committing to it as an organization like this we are putting a stake in the ground here um we want to build for the future of work um and you know we'll figure that out along the way um and this is easier you know for a, for a smaller or or newer company who's who's more nimble you know infusing that at the outset is, is, is going to be easier and more seamless, but it, it can be done and it should be done for all businesses of, of all sizes. One of the things that, that we think about as, as a first step is besides making the commitment and, and starting to top to bottom, build it into your culture, help support that uh, process through like workshops, for instance, just focused around equitable work. And this idea, again, that one size doesn't fit all and people are coming into um, their jobs with, with unique circumstances and backgrounds and needs. You know, things like culture norming and, and core value development and, and creating user guides 
uh, as part of that so that, you know, I touched on the educational aspect earlier, your workforce also has unique working styles and, and preferences, right? So creating these guides for your teams to be able to access and say, hey, you know, Sarah doesn't like to be pinged nonstop on chat. So I'm going to leave her be for these hours. And, you know, you know, maybe she prefers to get on a Zoom once a day, whatever the case may be. Um, another one is eliminating, you know, bias and microaggressions in the workplace. And I think in order for flexibility to truly blossom, uh, those microaggressions have to be eradicated. And um, it, it has to be, there has to be buy-in across the board, you know, and, and I'm talking about Sarah and I, again, having spent many years in a job share, um, were met with a lot of snide comments like, oh, must be nice to leave work early and, you know, oh, I wish I got off from, you know, got Fridays off and not really thinking through, um, I'm, you know, we're making a trade-off here, right? We're not getting paid as much. We don't necessarily uh, have as quick of a career progression as someone working full-time. Before anything else can happen, that has to be, you know, an important key step. And then, you know, similarly, and Sarah's touched on this several times, this idea of championing a results-oriented work environment. And again, this, this comes bottoms up, top to bottom, um, has to be a, a buy-in for, for everyone involved. And then I think recruiting with flexibility in mind, you know, as you're building for flexibility, what does flexibility at your organization actually look like and how can you, you know, put that out there for potential um, recruits? I would maybe just add, Emily, you're asking like very specifically what some of the arrangements could be. So in terms of, um, you know, Shannon kind of went through kind of how you kind of can get creative and just start building right away. What could some of those options be as relevant to your workforce? Um, there's obviously part-time, so that would be reduced hours to like a traditional 40-hour week. Um, there's a job share where two people would share one headcount. That's what Shannon and I have done for a long time. That's where you might overlap a little bit here and there, but you each work a set number of hours that's that's smaller and you ladder up to that one headcount. Um, there's, you know, the four-day classic four-day work week. Um, I think traditionally that's thought of as four tens, but actually there's a lot of persuasion around 32 hours. So four-day week is actually 32 hours, not 40. And in almost every study, uh, the productivity didn't go down at all. People sort of consolidated their effort. They came in, they did their job and they went home and that 32 hours didn't produce anything less than what 40 hours would have. But what you got was this uptick in happiness and well-being and um, and I would say overall joy, like you could kind of have your life and, and have your job and, and um, it was an uptick on all fronts. Um, what other arrangements that are pretty common that we am I missing? And I just want to add on to what Sarah was talking about. I don't know how many of you have, you know, been following or, or seen the research around the four day work week studies that have been in the last couple of years that Sarah touched on globally. I think it's really interesting. Um, they've they've done them in the U.S., the U.K., uh, several several other countries, and they were universally successful. It brings us back to that. Uh, making the distinction between part-time and uh, job sharing, for instance. So in those trials, everybody worked reduced hours. So um, that was hugely successful. But just to touch on a minute, uh, this idea of job sharing versus part-time, I was actually part-time for a handful of years. And 
in my experience and in the experience of other folks I've talked to in a similar position, part-time really has some challenges. I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of continuity that happens in part-time. And, you know, while the team is kind of waiting for that part-time person to get back in the office, that part-time person has a, you know, is overcompensating and then feeling a lot of stress about their status. For me, that, that was very much the case. And, and when I did find job sharing, it was like this massive aha, right? Because I wasn't working a full-time schedule, which I needed for the other priorities in my life, but I wasn't overcompensating. I knew that my partner was also accountable to the business um, and to the projects we were working on. And I could, you know, heads down, focus, be hyper-productive when I was there um, and know that my partner would, you know, pick it up right where I left off kind of thing. So I just, I wanted to touch on that distinction because I think there's a lot of confusion when people think about them in the same way. I think you also had shared like some other ideas that were beyond arrangements too, which is like, how does flexibility fit into other things um, that, you know, an organization can offer or do? Can you speak to a couple of those examples? I think a couple of things that we touched on were, um, you know, this idea of infusing it into to the benefits program so that it, that it's part of um, the benefits package, part of the benefits team. And then that inherently um, protects it from some of these one-off. And then I think, you know, some of the other things that we talked about were um, really thinking about restructuring how people are evaluated and, and performance reviews to ensure that the expectations and the demands and the, you know, the, the measurables are consistent and uh, account for people who work in, in flexible arrangements. You know, I think the risk if you don't do that is that there's measurables that that are associated with time or, you know, as Sarah was touching on earlier, you know, volume of work versus value and quality of work kind of thing. It's very hard in a traditional performance evaluation not to evaluate the person and, and to really focus on the work. And if you take the opportunity to scope a job, to post it correctly, to recruit, to review people based on the scope of work that they were hired to do and the impact that they're having on the business, you suddenly have a different evaluation process, which is really about um, kind of positive outputs of someone's work product and, and, and less about where they physically were at any given time or how many hours they work or um, this, that, or the other. And it's a really big shift, I think, we saw it over the course of our time um, at Google and watched kind of a big company who is supposedly getting it right a lot, constantly kind of rethinking that piece because it's really, really hard. It's hard to leave bias out of it. And I think this is where, especially the smaller you are, the more you can get it right because you can build it into your culture. You can have that be what sets your culture apart. And it's fulfilling for everybody. I think it allows people to grow um, because their work is what's being evaluated and their opportunity to grow their skill set to move up the ladder um, versus feeling vulnerable as a human because they might have a different life circumstance that requires a different kind of 
way of work. And so it almost the arrangement, you know, kind of to your point, Emily, almost shouldn't matter. It should be really tied to kind of what the scope of a, of a headcount is and what the company is trying to do and what kinds of work needs to get done to make that company thrive. And if you can really kind of make that all kind of threaded together, that's where that kind of that value equation that I was talking about at the very beginning becomes this like really beautiful, this beautiful thing. Yeah, thank you. I was thinking that there probably are people that are part of um, today's call that just still feel like, I just don't know quite how to like get started. Like, you know, and I know you talked about just starting the conversation and things like that, but if you could give, you know, if I'm an HR leader at a smaller company and I could walk away and these are like, you know, some practical things that I could do today, tomorrow, like what would some of those advice pieces be? Yeah. Uh, top level, if, if you're early in your company growth, like build this in early, just start it from day one and it never becomes something that you have to do later. So I would just, I always like to mention that um, because it's something that really can be done early on. And then really practical steps. Um, do you know your workforce? Like understand them. Um, that's a really easy project. Or, and if it's not, it really should be. Who is working for you and what do they care about? Um, do you have a really good updated analysis of, you know, the demographics of your company, the psychographics, who's over or underrepresented in certain segments? Like, do you have at risk segments? Like it, that will start to become clear and it will start to really give you a good idea of, um, what you might need to do. So that's, that's a really low bar. It doesn't, shouldn't take a lot of extra cost or effort to understand your workforce. It's good for all things. You need to know about it for your benefits. You need to, you need for your planning, for your economic life cycle of your company, understand your current workforce. Next, uh, give your employees a voice. Like, do you have a town hall? Do you have a weekly meeting? It probably depends on the size of your company, but where is your employee voice in all of that? And is it safe? Is it a safe space? Whether it's surveys, whether it's town halls, whether you've created your bigger and you have like really distinct affinity groups, um, whatever your mechanism is, make sure you have several. Um, and they, they create an opportunity for all types of employees to contribute and make sure it's a really safe, safe space for those employees. And then I think maybe two more, um, if you've never done this, maybe define a flexibility, a flexibility purpose for your company, or if you've been tinkering with this, maybe you're refining it. Hopefully you're refining it. Some of you, and it's, it's divining, it's kind of figuring out what that business purpose is that you're not just checking a box, right? You're, you're actually aligning this with your organization's overall purpose um, so that it's beneficial. Again, that value equation for everybody involved. Um, Another kind of really practical step is kind of identifying stakeholders and ensuring there's some sort of sponsorship or ownership. So in some companies, probably the smaller ones, HR benefits, like it should kind of sit all right there at the epicenter of a kind of your culture. At a much larger company, there might be a separate kind of people programs that's working on these types of things, um, but make sure it lives somewhere. It, it has a tendency to be a hot potato, and that that means that it, it doesn't ever stick or go anywhere. And so really practically, like, have an advocate and have an owner and put stakeholders um, and make it matter for them, too, like, so that it's worth it for them to kind of get get a little sticky with it. And then ensure that they have the right policies and guidelines um, so that you're not building this one, you're putting all this effort into like a one-off scenario, but you're thinking about all of these steps as part of building something foundational and structural for your culture. Yeah. And I would, I would just add, you know, those are, those are great 
initial steps in when you're ready to take the next step it doesn't have to be a you know all in dive in head first kind of thing i mean we're really strong advocates of testing um we spent a lot of time running pilots in our uh career at google and so the idea of dipping a toe in uh, and doing some testing, running a couple of small pilots uh, is a really great way to learn. It's it's super low risk, low cost, low fidelity, um, and, and it gives you some insight before you decide to take that bigger step with a with an investment and uh, you know a, a plan to move forward. Um, and so, just to, you know, thinking through a couple of examples, we, we touched on some of these at risk segments. Um, you know, maybe you establish a pickup program for one of these groups of people, part of the population, it might be a parental leave return so that you give, you know, folks coming off of parental leave, uh, you know, either the opportunity to, to job share for X number of time as a an opportunity to phase back in and whether that's successful and can be carried on, who knows, um, you'd have to evaluate that or, or just part time as well as an option. Test a few pilots, identify, you know, identify a couple of teams or parts of the organization where that you feel like there's an opportunity. People are either unhappy or there's there's an attrition uh, situation and um, test a couple things. Test the 32 hour week, test a couple of job shares. Um, this will give you a sense of if you do want to move forward where these things could be most successful. Yeah, those are great. Thank you both. Maybe one last one from me. I think that um, we all probably have ideas about like what the risk factors are if this is not something that you embrace. So there's, you know, attrition and retention challenges, et cetera. But are there other things that you've learned, you know, through your own experience or research? Like if we don't embrace this, like this, this is what happens. Yeah, I mean, I think we've, we've, We've touched on a lot of them, but um, you know, again, just to recap, the, the the attrition is huge because when people leave, you have to invest more time and and money in in talent and training programs. Also, you, you're running the risk of creating a workforce that's burned out and unhappy. Um, we touched on the whole quiet quitting concept, uh, but this is this is bad for culture and it's bad for productivity. There, there have been a ton of studies out there, uh, more and more, that talk about how flexible employees are happier, they're healthier, they sleep better, and they're more productive, and they're more likely to stick around. Another element is the, the lack of diversity in your work population. Uh, I think that today there are nearly 2 million fewer women in the workplace than there were at the beginning of the pandemic. And you know that that's a problem. That should be a problem uh, for companies out there. Uh, they should they should want to risk that. And by not by punting any you know acknowledgement or work on flexibility, they're basically saying that they don't care about a giant <laughs> population. Um, and then I think it's we're remiss if we don't talk about this next generation, right? This is a generation of talent who has absolutely denounced the hustle culture. Um, they refuse to put all their eggs in one basket. You know, they're out there making money and doing side hustles and and, and spending time with passion projects. Um, and so your ability to attract 
that huge generation of upcoming talent um, is going to be dependent on on whether you get on board with inclusivity and flexibility. Um, and then all of the things that we've talked about contributes to just general erosion of culture, which which again is, is a risk and um, doesn't just affect you internally, but it can tarnish your brand reputation, your, your customers, your partnerships, all sorts of things. So those are just a handful of risks. Sarah, Shannon, any final thoughts or words of wisdom from either of you? Thank you so much for spending some time and, and sharing with all of us. Just say, do something. Everything is hard. Change is hard. No, everyone is in a place these days, I feel like, where they don't have a little bit extra. Um, but I would say in our experience, most people that are looking for an alternative arrangement, it's because they want to be there. They want to figure out a way to continue thriving at work. And if you can provide an infrastructure to partner with them to do that, it's a win-win all the way around. And be willing to have the conversation, be willing to explore, just take some step. And there's probably a lot of people that want to help. And I think that there's, that's kind of um, good bang for your buck too, is just, um, is just taking a step. And then it might not feel so hard because we, 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 we've seen it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Humans Beyond Resources. Visit ReverbPeople.com to find free resources, subscribe to our newsletter, and connect with our team. If you haven't already, subscribe to stay up to date on all of our upcoming episodes. We look forward to having you as part of our community.